Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we're here. Are we? We are here. You're here. You're in your car. You're in your house. You're in your garage. You're hanging out. I love it. I thought you meant me. I was like, I'm not in my car or no, no, I'm I'm right here in the studio. I love that. You know, when I, so when I do any of this creation stuff like that, when I'm doing the YouTube or I'm doing the, doing the podcast or everything, I feel like it's something that we're all doing together. (laughs) <laughs> like, like we're doing this for you guys, obviously, uh-huh. but I'm doing it with Jake and I get over here and they, we're doing some, you know, story time today, story time with it Jake. It is story time. It is story time. But I still feel like this is something we're all doing together. If you know, should, should we make it interactive? Hey, yeah, you, what you doing? No, no, no. That would be, that would be silly. <laughs> but even when I'm doing the, the YouTube stuff, I'm like, I always say, I'm like saying we, and yeah. I was thinking to myself the other day, why am I saying we, but I really truly think this is something that we're doing together. You know, it's, it's, it's this thing that we're doing and we're interacting on social and we're interacting on YouTube. And, you know, I t- talk to you guys about the episodes that we do and we interact and it, it is it is we. This is a we. So let's go. Well, it wouldn't we're be ready. a thing at all without the other we. I know. But no, like think of it this way. If like just think of the morning radio guy that has people, they get in their car, they turn it on. They listen to this guy bitch and complain about this crap. Right. And but they don't really interact with that guy. They're not. I mean, it's you just like, do bitch and complain a lot on yes, the podcast. Yes, but, but we, we bitch and complain together. We bitch and complain together. Commiserate. Yeah, we commiserating in our misery. I feel like I complain a lot less than I used to. That's true. I, I I'm rubbing I, off on you. My my positive vibes I'm are finally you, coming through. I'm bringing, I'm making you more negative, and you're making me more positive. Yeah, we're, we're somehow soon. leveling out. <laughs> <laughs> I will always be taller, though. Let's just be clear. That, none of that's changing. We're going to keep that. What if I all of a sudden just get a growth spurt at, like, 35? That would be incredible, I think. It would be in a medical journal. So I don't <laughs> I'll work on that. I don't think that's gonna happen. Anyway, I just love that this is something that we do together. I really look forward to it. I'm glad. You know, I, you know, I try to think of things that are uh, stanchions in my life. Yeah, it's things that you you mark time by and you mark your life by, and things that you're proud of. And this is one of them. I'm I'm proud to do it with you, and I'm excited to start another year, another year too. of doing that's this right. with you. So, happy New Year, everybody! Thanks for doing with me this with me, Jake. It's been. It's been awesome. It's been awesome watching you grow in terms of um, interviewing. Wait, see, I and, am growing? Yeah. Let's <laughs> not get too excited. Uh, you haven't changed, well, not in your style of shoes or height or anything like that. No, but you're, no. Like your stories that you do and and the research that you've done, and you're, you've gotten really good. So I'm really looking forward to doing this with you. And you've gotten less cynical. So it's just great it all is, around. It's great all around. It's great all around. I'm only cynical on the inside oh, now. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like this just boy. bottling it up. This, this boiling <laughs> cancer of negativity is just is embroiled inside of my body. Great. Yes, yes. Speaking of which, that'll be, it's kind of fitting for this episode. I'll let you know. Kind of fitting. Before we get to it, what have you got for us? No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that? No, I have it later. Oh, okay. I got it all dialed in. Let's talk about the Drivers Club then. Oh, Tell me about the Drivers Club. What is that? Head over to overcrestproductions.com. There's a link right at the top. Or if you're really fancy, you can do overcrestproductions.com slash Drivers Club. Yep. And for as little as $5 a month, you can join the exclusive Drivers Club where we have content that is released nowhere else. Exclusive stories, our back and forth, our updates on our projects and what's going on with us. We have interviews that we haven't ever aired anywhere else. Yes. We were just talking about maybe releasing one and then we're like, eh, yes. we're going to keep that as a premium yeah, content thing. <laughs> you know, we also have a lot of our merch and our gear out there. You can get a print from Chris that yeah. doesn't ever sell prints. Yeah. You'll oh, be so we've the... Been, we, everybody's heard this stuff before. Okay. Well, what they have not heard is that we've been squirreling this money away. And we're going to be doing some pretty cool stuff with it soon. That's true. Soon. And I can't thank of all the thank all the Drivers Club members enough for being a part of that. Yeah. It's going to be it's it going to be really cool. It's 5 bucks, guys. It's $5. 5 bucks. You can support this show, you can support creators and like I always say, if it's not us, find someone else cuz uh without, you know, support, none of this happens. That's the, right. The lights go off. We're doing this in the dark. It's no fun. We'd have like a little <laughs> tape recorder. <laughs> all right all right so i have a crazy story that i dug up to share with you that i found absolutely fascinating and somewhat hilarious actually and 
as we've mentioned before, we have been expanding our breath a little bit outside the mainstay of automotive culture to topics that are just downright interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this episode certainly falls in that category, although it's less a, a story and more just like a preposterous look at a topic. Okay. So, Chris, let's talk about nuclear power. Okay, that's where the cancer thing comes in. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, the radiation. All Correct. Right. So, in the United States, there are 94 nuclear reactors operating at 56 nuclear power plants in 28 states. So here's a question. I'm, I'm already ruining Already your, ruining already my your, flow. Yeah, ruining your flow. Is when was the last time a new uh, nuclear power plant was built? That I haven't looked into. I think it's been It's decades. been a while. Yeah. Most of the power plants that we have are past their prime. Yeah, I would agree. They should be either replaced uh-huh. or replaced. <laughs> That's basically it. Seriously. The, yeah. But we can't, nobody will allow anybody to build new ones. Right. We want to build we want to build windmills and solar panels instead. Right. So, so we're not doing nuclear, which is, I still think we should just launch this stuff into space. We'll, we'll get into there. Into the sun. We'll get there. You know, I was watching TV with the kids. Uh-huh. And, and my, my daughter was like, well, what happens if the, the sun burns out? I'm like, well, honey, you don't really have to worry about that. It's like hundreds of millions of years, billions of years before that would happen. If we just launch all the nuclear waste into the sun, uh-huh. maybe that would buy us an extra like 10, 20 minutes down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, I will get there because I knew you were going to ask about this. <laughs> but what is interesting is nuclear power plants have supplied about 20% of total annual U.S. electrical supply since 1990. Nuclear. It's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> That's right, Homer. The basic operation of a nuclear power plant is quite simple. Basically, radioactive material is used to heat water to produce steam. The steam is then used to spin large turbines that generate electricity, and the heat is generated by nuclear fission, in which atoms are split apart to form smaller atoms, releasing massive amounts of energy. This release of energy sometimes comes in the form of a massive explosion, however. Minus 10. Miles back, observers from all services and several allied nations stand by for the first daylight tower shot. The terrible swift power of nuclear weapons has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> I just liked that old clip. <laughs> seen to be believed. No, you're not seeing find, it because this is the wrong format. I find nu- everybody's like, oh, it's nuclear power. No, it's steam power. Right. Which is really interesting because steam doesn't exist in any other way. We don't use it for anything else at all. We don't use it. I mean, we use it on, I guess, anything nuclear, but we don't do steam cars anymore. No. We don't have, like, steam mills. Oh, some or, some old buildings are still steam heated. heated. But now I'm talking about mechanical propulsion or energy creation That's or true. something like that. Yeah, this, but it's it like, is a steam engine. It's a steam engine. Yes. It's, it's phenomenal. We should all have cars with mini nuclear reactors no, in shouldn't. them. No, there's a. In this my, episode is not going the way you think it's going. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, did you know that there are miniature nuclear reactors? Sure, I did some research on this for my book. Right, because like in submarines and stuff. In submarines, and also in actually uh, the Mars rover are all nuclear power. Yes, so in in my book, there's a missile silo. Okay, where one of the characters lives yeah, in it, like with he's a, a, a miniature reactor with a miniature reactor. And yeah, it's, why don't we have those in on smaller scales for each? individual neighborhood doesn't that make sense because we always hear about somebody being like oh they hacked the mechanical or they want five 500 bitcoin to release the power or the or the oil or whatever if every neighborhood had its own nuclear power plant i think of like a 1950s based neighborhood <laughs> where there's people just and they, i'm sure they were thought of this in the 50s yeah, too they're there's like, like a guy with a pocket, power. Protector, pocket protector and a tie oh and like horn room glasses and the lady yes. with the dress with the apron and <laughs> <laughs> and and the and the two children to replace them, two and a half children to replace them, a boy and a girl and, uh-huh. and a half a child. And they're standing in front right. of their fifty style home and they all live in a neighborhood that was built and all the houses are exactly and the same. They all have the their fences. Buick or their Cadillac yes. out front. And in the center of the town is a nuclear reactor. That this is, is a, a great terrible idea. idea. No, this is great. Okay. It would be it would be all these individual communities would be unhackable. Be perfect. Well, you couldn't hack them in the 50s anyways, but... No, but it would be great if... All right. Well, just let me see if you feel that way by the end of the episode. All right. (laughs) So, in both a nuclear explosion and in a power plant, fission takes place with the element of uranium. Uranium is actually found in small amounts in most rocks and even in seawater by itself. Uranium mines operate in many countries, but more than 85% of uranium is produced in only six countries. Kazakhstan, Canada, Australia, Nambia, Niger, and Russia. And America. That's not one of them. 
Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so the Canada? Most, really? I know what? I thought they just had logs. Well, apparently they have uranium. Uh, and it's interesting, the most common method of mining uranium doesn't really look like traditional mining at all. It's a method called in-situ leaching, where mining is accomplished by injecting an alkali or acidic water solution into uranium-rich pockets down in the earth, and then the solution is circulated through the uranium and is then pumped to the surface. They're basically shooting special water down into the earth and let it Rinsing bubble Rinsing the uranium off. off. Basically, yeah. The- where does uranium come from? Is it like a celestial body crashes into the earth? No, it's just, it's just a, an element that's been on the earth, but it's not very common. Okay. Well, water came from asteroids. That's probably not true. No, it's absolutely true. All of the water on the planet Earth came from asteroids. All of the water on the planet came from the asteroid belt, dragged into our planet by Jupiter. Okay. I haven't looked into that, so I'll just take it with a grain of salt. Someone out there is like, he's right. (laughs) He's right. There's actually, in the the asteroid belt, the the biggest, uh, it's like Cassius or something like that. I don't remember Uh which asteroid it is. It's the one that has the most mass of all the asteroids in the asteroid belt. Uh It's ice. Oh, so it's just all water. It's just all water. It's just this like nice. little ice cube Let's floating around. Let's push it into Mars. That's what I was thinking. We were watching. I was, Genius. I, we watched all this <laughs> space stuff with the kids. And I'm thinking about why don't we just fly something over to this ice planet and tow it somewhere. Yeah. Crash it into that planet and terraform a new Earth. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> why are we messing around with this, this rockets and stuff like that when we could just go make a new planet? I don't understand. Wait, what? Yes. We're messing around with rockets, but we need the rockets to get to the new... Yeah, but we're trying to go to Mars. We're not building a, t- a, a, a tow truck for oh, my asteroid. Oh, you want to build a tow truck. I do. I would like to tow it. The problem is, I don't know how big it is. I don't know if it's big. We don't want to increase the tidal shifts anymore on the Earth. <laughs> we don't want to do that. You know, I want- think Mars is too far out. Gravitational pull is not affected by our tidal. Yeah, well, maybe we can drag it over to Mars and just set it down nicely and then oh, just have it just, melt. Yeah, reverse thrust it down. Haven't you seen Total Recall? Yeah. Yes. Where they just melt all the ice and then there's an atmosphere and then everybody yeah, can so breathe immediately. So there is ice on the poles of Mars. So you could just warm the there's planet. There's not enough. I don't think that there's enough. But this other place is literally, they, they flew a satellite over it and there was, uh, they noticed that there was this white stuff right. on top on the poles. They're like, oh my God, what is that? They couldn't figure out. It's salt. So there's underneath the crust of this <laughs> asteroid uh-huh. is salt water. That's uh-huh. incredible. It's incredible find. Yeah. And then there's a, a, one of the moons of Jupiter is also ice. Right. That is, oh, what's Starts the name with of an it? E. I don't remember what the name Europa. is. Europa. Europa. That's right. Yep. That's ice. And we didn't want to like crash our satellite into it because there could be life on Europa. And I keep no, thinking. No, I'm pretty sure we sent a satellite to Europa. But we didn't want to crash one into it. <laughs> I don't think we want, we sent one to land on Europa. You're right. Maybe it was just a because near we didn't want to introduce different. We didn't, it's water. So there could be living <laughs> stuff there. <laughs> Why are we trying to go there? Of all the stuff that we're doing, it we just want a lot of time and money to get there. Let's do it. I'm okay. Down. Can you think of all the dumb stuff that we've spent money on in this country over the years? $10,000 for every single person that bought a Tesla could probably have built a spaceship to go to Europa, which is well, way better. To be fair, the money from the Teslas did go to SpaceX in some form. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Anyways, uranium, Chris. Sorry. Back to uranium. Back on Earth where the uranium is, that solution that we pumped out of the ground is separated, filtered, and dried to produce uranium oxide concentrate, often referred to as yellow cake. Have okay. you heard this in the yes, in the realm of like of nuclear Saddam product? Hussein. Yes, I have because that's what they said. Uh, there was a, Colin Powell was like, they have yellow cake. They have yellow cake. And I remember being at like 20 and going, and you're like, what the f- what is that? What is yellow Sounds cake? delicious. Is it like a pound cake? <laughs> so is it actually like a yellow it's cake? Like a, it's a powdery substance, right. So this then goes through an enriching process to create uranium pellets. How do you enrich it? You basically distill it down. So it goes like a centrifuge or something, or how does this work? We'll say that. Okay. I I didn't look that deep into (laughs) it, but yes. Uh, Each pellet of this uranium produces about the same amount of energy as 150 gallons of oil. Wow. So how big are these pellets? They are small. Okay. They're tiny. Yes. Like like an Advil? Yeah. Let's say an Advil. That sounds right. You were asking the most, like, minuscule, like, just stupid questions about this whole thing. I've been imagining some kid in, like, high school, like, Googling uranium nuclear information. And then, like, going and listening to the podcast, being like, oh, man, this is going to really help me with my research, (laughs) man. And here we are being like, is the uranium, like, Advil? (laughs) I've said over and over again, we are focusing on entertainment, not actual (laughs) knowledge and facts. Okay. 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 So, 
Speaking of oil and petroleum, Chris, let's shift gears to take a quick talk about our sponsor, Petrol Box. Petrol Box is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all of that to be sent right there to your doorstep each month. It's a latest and greatest selection of all there is in the industry. And there's actually two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. Are you going to tell us how Geiger counters work? No, I didn't look that up either. Okay. Well, I'll, but, all right. But I am going to tell you about a certain type of Geiger counter. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> but I won't know the specifics, no. Okay. <laughs> okay, so this uranium is what the actual nuclear material is and what creates the heat generated to spin the steam turbines and create the power. The problem is this uranium is only usable for about five years. Well, yeah, it has a half-life. That's what that's called, right? It has a half-life. Right, but after that, it's lost its efficacy and new uranium fuel rods are needed. The problem so is... is a, so is a rod like a bunch of a compacted pellets? A rod is a pellets? bunch of pellets in it. Yes. Okay. Each fuel rod is a bunch of these uranium pellets How do they it. control... And it's basically know, the Advil bottle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you don't know this, but how do they control the... The, the heat? The radiation, how much radiation the pellets are putting off? Is yeah, there? Yeah. Do they so mix they actually other materials. They in? slide these uh, uranium-rich rods in and out of a. I forget the term of it, but it's basically something that blocks out the radiation, almost okay. like an insulator. Yep. And so you can push more rod into the water. Okay. Or you can pull it out into the insulator. Okay. It's basically how that works. So, and the insulator. I mean, obviously, you can't keep it in the insulator forever, or you have a meltdown. Right, because these you can have a runaway meltdown if you're not able to cool the uranium. You right. must cool the uranium. I think that's when the rods actually get stuck in the coolant stuff or something. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I mean, I'm just okay. saying. This is basic level, Chris. Okay, this but, is 101. We're not interested. going. I know we're not going down to like level 300 grad student nuclear fission. I don't think you once you have the pellets and you ha and you have this uranium. Yeah. It's emitting it, and you've created a situation in which it is emitting its, emitting its radi radiation and dispersing its energy. It cannot be stopped until its half-life is reached and it, and it expels all of its radiation. Correct. So that's what I'm saying is there's no way to control this unless you stick it in the water and generate the power. Correct. Okay. Kind of. Um, <laughs> unless it's in the insulating thing, which actually takes the energy. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, yes. apparently they didn't have those in some of these places where they've melted down. Or I think it's more of a malfunction. Where, like, the rods aren't movable. Okay. Like, something breaks, and they're like, bah, we can't cool it down. Right. So, the problem, though, just because these fuel rods have lost their potency to create vast amounts of heat doesn't mean it isn't radioactive anymore. I'm going to get technical here for a moment about this part, so stick okay. with me. Okay. Ten years after removal from a reactor, the surface dose rate for a typical spent fuel assembly exceeds 10,000 rem per hour, which is a measure of radiation. Now, to put that into perspective... I thought it was a rad. Yeah, this says rem. Okay. What's rem? You're right. There is a rad. Rad versus rem? Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Go ahead. One is a band, and the other one's just rad. <laughs> So to put this into perspective, the fatal whole body dose of radiation for humans is about 500 rem received all at once. So even after these nuclear rods are spent, they still generate 20 times the lethal level of radiation. It's just one of the... What? You didn't listen to any of that. No, that number just scared me. Yes. Okay. Yes, this is bad stuff. Okay, so 10 years after they're taken out and they're already spent... They can't be used anymore. They still generate 20 times the lethal dose of radiation to a human. They're okay. highly radioactive. Right, so they're bad shit. They're bad. So just because they're not generating heat, which is needed to generate the power, there's still a ton of radiation so what is, coming out of it. what's happening to my body if I'm coming in contact with radiation? You do kind of melt from the inside You're out. vibrating, right? Your cells well, and, and your molecular structure starts to vibrate like it's being microwaved. It, yeah, it's a microwave. Essentially, you're being well, microwaved. it's not a microwave, but it, that's kind of what's happening is it's yeah. increasing the heat. It's of gamma your... rays and alpha rays and all the rays that are bad, right? So, not only is this spent uranium still highly deadly, due Hopefully to the... no physicists are listening to yeah, this. Yeah, I'm episode. sorry, guys. We're just making it interesting, you know? <laughs> Feel free to call in and give us, give us a call. Yeah, uh, okay. So, this spent uranium is still highly deadly due to the half life decay of the element, and it remains deadly for 
Any guesses how long? So how long is the spent rod deadly? Still with, deadly with the radiation. How close are, do we have to be to it? Are we like, oh, let's touch this thing? Or are we talking? No, I think like in this room. In this room. Isn't that crazy to me that you can't even be in the well, same you room you with have, something? It, think of it as like a light bulb because it's the same type of energy Correct. as light. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I'm going to say 500 years. <laughs> 200,000 years. Very difficult to understand that amount of time exactly. as a human being. Exactly. So... This poses a huge problem. All of this nuclear waste is gathered together and sealed up deep underground in the New Mexico desert as a facility at a facility called the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, or WIP for short. Okay. WIP is the United States' only permanent underground repository for nuclear waste. It's all in one place. Not only do all the spent fuel rods for the country's nearly 100 plants get sent there, but anything and everything else that is radioactive needs to be disposed of at this facility. This includes radioactive byproducts from nuclear weapons manufacturing, any tooling or even like gloves and suits that have been exposed to radiation. They send it all to this one facility in New is Mexico. Is it just a giant hole in the ground and you just walk up with a little cart and go to tip it for <laughs> It's like your local recycling center. Yeah. All right, what do you got here? What county are you from? All right, thank you. <laughs> and they just chuck it down a hole? No, not quite. They're sealed up in these big cement casks that are then insulated further with other materials, and then they basically forklift all these casks down in this massive mine shaft. Okay. Well, it seems like a safe place to keep this stuff. What's the problem? Well, eventually, when the WIP facility is full, it'll be sealed up for good. However, that's still a problem. Even though all of this deadly waste will be sealed up underground, how do we ensure it remains that way for thousands of years? Think of it this way. Just put a sign up that says, don't go in here. Okay, I'm glad you're thinking about this. But think of it this way. What did the world look like just a thousand years ago? Yeah. Over the course of the last millennia, cultures have risen and fallen. Entire civilizations have changed. And technology has developed to the point of being unrecognizable to the human a thousand years ago. You were basically writing on walls with chalk a thousand years ago. Well... Hold on, right? I mean, yes, that's, I mean we're very primitive yes, a thousand exactly. years ago. Exactly. So keeping something stored and untampered with for basically forever is a huge problem. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Think of a thousand years ago, just for a sec. Just no, I'm, I'm going to get there. Hold okay. on one second. Okay, sorry. So, yeah. and there's this, still this concern of whether the WIP facility has even figured out the basic problem of storing this stuff in the first place. Back in 2014, a leak was detected at the WIP facility which exposed several workers to radiation and forced the facility to close for four years. So all this radiation was like in a holding pattern, like the material. Yep. They're like, all right, hold on, because this place has a leak and we got to let it like cool off basically and clean it. So even if all this nuclear you waste- can't just go in there with some cock and like cock up the whole- <laughs> No, I don't <laughs> like think you leak, can. You know? No, you can't. <laughs> so even if all this nuclear waste is properly stored away, how do you ensure it stays that way? What prevents our great-grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren from stumbling upon this facility and exploring what may have since been lost to history? They're not going to know what this was. I'm, that, I'm opening my, uh, my little book ideas. Uh. Oh, this is, yeah, this is a good one. So this problem that seems almost un un unsolvable, right? How, yep. do you, how do you transmit the fact that this thing should be stayed away from for 200,000 years into the here's future. My, here's, can I say what my difficulty is? I, yes. Okay. So I'm thinking of, okay, you can't just put a sign up because the people that are here 5,000, 10,000 years from now, they don't speak your language. You know what? Just wait. Just wait. I'm going to go through this because okay. this question was actually posed by the Federal Department of Energy and considered in 1990 when they invited a group of geologists, linguists, astrophysicists, architects, artists, and writers to the New Mexico desert to visit the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. This diverse group of experts were tasked with the following brief. How do you communicate to humans 10,000 years in the future that they shouldn't mess with this facility? So remember I said the half-life isn't completely gone until 200,000 years? Yep. The facility was basically like, that's, that's incomprehensible. What about even 10,000 years in the future? Right. Try to conceive what human civilization would have looked like 10,000 years from now, or would look like 10,000 years from now. And think of it this way. 10,000 years we're either, ago- We're either decimated, right. or we're a spacefaring civilization. 10,000 years ago, 
nomadic hunters had just discovered the life-changing invention of farming. Right. We went from nomads to farming. 10,000 years ago. Culturally, we share almost nothing with our prehistoric ancestors. So how could we possibly conceive what the world would look like 10,000 years into the future? Would all human race, like you say, even exist at this standpoint? There's only one thing. One thing that has been a constant throughout the entirety of human history is telling stories to others to preserve you what are, came you before. You are really good. You're getting way ahead. That I mean, that is the number you, one thing that human 100%. beings have been able to do is, is uh, it was verbal for a very long time, right? and it was written, everything like that. That is one I, thing. I'm we impressed are, with we're you. We're extremely good at that. I'm impressed with you because you're like, yes, that's it. All right. Episode well, well. done. <laughs> Chris just ruined the ending. No, it's no, not. no, you didn't. But let me go through all the other things that all these scientists thought yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, would we be a spacefaring colony in 10,000 years? We have or to would be. we have suffered the collapse of technology and society several times over and be back to the Stone Age? Like in, uh, have you seen um, The Time Machine? Yes. The movie? Yes. Where he's sitting in, in the time machine and, he, and it's going. And he going. sees like civilizations go and then and all of a sudden it falls. It decimates and it comes up again. Yes, and exactly. And like Futurama too. When it's oh, like did a, they do that too? In Futurama where he gets locked in the little thing after trying to deliver pizza <laughs> yeah. or whatever. He falls into the machine and the skyscrapers go up and down and up and down yep, and up and down. Exactly. I mean, that's, it, that's over the course of 10,000 years. Yeah. We could lose all of our technological like knowledge. Or it could and be like Wally where again. the earth is just a giant pile of garbage. Yeah. And then we're off in a spaceship as giant gelatinous fat blobs because we're- Sponsored by, by and large. <laughs> Sponsored by, by Meta. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it really is an impossible question to answer, but nonetheless, this panel got to work. First, the experts began by thinking about language itself. But language, like radioactive material itself, has a half-life, right? It doesn't last forever. Take the literary work of Beowulf, for example. That What's was that? only a thousand years ago. Beowulf was something you had to read in college English, and oh. it's it's one of the like the oldest English language novels that's okay. survived, and it's virtually incomprehensible. It's written in English, but it's like there to thin toe, heather now wither rock. Yeah, you just can't read it, right? But if it was a picture book, oh, I'm glad you're getting there too. Just a minute. So there are countless languages that have literally been lost to time. There's no way of ensuring a written message is understandable that far into the future. The panel then considered symbols, which seems more universal. After all, a smiley face seems to be understood globally, regardless of language or culture. Unless a woman is smiling at a man, and then we have no idea what it means. True. <laughs> We're generally yeah, not sure. Yeah, true. Um, and faces, it turns out, have already been used as a warning. Let's see if this poison control ad from the 1980s rings a bell. <laughs> what? Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is green. Home is full of lots of things that children shouldn't touch. Home is full of bad things that can hurt you very much. Now there's a man whose face is green that you ought to get to know. He'll warn you when danger's coming fast or slow. Get to know his face in every single place. Okay, so yeah, Mr. Yuck is what we're talking about. Yeah, here, right? do you remember Mr. Guy, Yuck? It was guy. the green symbol that basically the uh, poison control facility decided was they're going to put on like cleaning supplies right. and everything that was poisonous. Right. And as a campaign, so kids would actually know what that meant, well, they would, showed this cartoon as a commercial in like, you know, Saturday morning cartoons about Mr. Yuck is green. Even a dog can recognize facial expressions and right. emotion. So right. it, is, it is one of the primal things that like kids learn initially is and and human beings as adults we look at our children and we can understand the emotion because they right. can't communicate with us right we can still understand what's going on based on the facial expressions that we're seeing so that's it right that, just a it. symbol right right okay well that's what carl sagan who was invited to participate in the what panel do you, do? do you just draw a picture that's oh really the science fiction guy yeah carl that's sagan awesome. was invited to participate in the panel but had a scheduling conflict what he sent the whip <laughs> panel a letter saying this whole marker problem was easily solved with the right symbol and he knew just the one the skull and crossbones but it turns out 
that that can also be misconstrued. Pirates! Well, yes, with (laughs) meanings that can change over the time. So, in fact, the skull and crossbones has done just that. It first appeared 2,000 years ago as a symbol of rebirth, not death or evil. And here's another example. Think of the swastika. Well, it turns out the swastika, the word itself, is Sanskrit, which means good fortune or well-being. Yeah, that was a great symbol back in the day. The motif of the swastika appeared as far back as 7,000 years ago. And to this day, it's still used as a sacred symbol in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Odinism, whatever those last two are. But if you were to take... I think Jain should maybe not use it anymore. Jain probably shouldn't. I agree. Neither should Odin. No. Uh, But the point is, like, if you were to take any old guy off the street today and ask him what it meant, it would no doubt conjure up thoughts of Nazis and evil, right? Right, but that's a a symbol. That's like a geometric shape. Okay. Like a skull and a crossbones. A skull, bones represent death. Okay. They really truly do, right? I mean... Right? Well, no. No. In the Middle Ages, (laughs) the skull and crossbones was known as a symbol of rebirth, with some paintings from the era even displaying it at the feet of Jesus's uh, cross where he was sacrificed. Okay. It wasn't until a few centuries later that captains of merchant ships started to draw little skulls and crossbones in their logs next to the name of sailors who had died at sea. It started as a way of notating the dead in an honorable way. Mm. Okay, they died, okay. they're going to be reborn, we'll put a little skull and crossbones. But pirates began to use the same symbol to convey the threat of death itself, and such the Jolly Roger was born. Hmm. So, so can we just draw a melting person? Maybe. Like Ruling just, out both language and symbols, the panelists thought about using some visual storytelling, like a melting person, right? Right, right. One panelist, John Lomberg, thought you could define the radioactive symbol which is actually called a trefoil, apparently, Okay. with a sort of comic strip showing a stick figure coming across this place and then dropping dead. <laughs> but as you can actually personally attest to, that can also be misconstrued. Here's what I mean. For my day job, I manage a global website, and one of the languages we manage is Arabic, which is read from right to left. Right. Which oh, is a pain no. in the ass as a web developer, let me tell you. I know exactly where you're going with this. Think of this comic strip described above. If you look at it from right to left, it looks as though this place will bring people back from the dead. You could chuck your dead bodies Yay! in here. <laughs> Suddenly you have countless people flocking to this place thinking it is some sort of ancient fountain of youth. So, no. yeah, no, that idea doesn't do that. work either. Uh, another, another other question, quick, yeah. is how what, what material are we using to write this with? Right, so that's the other thing. Like, how are we, what ink are we they using? Did, what? They did studies about, like, even giant monoliths degrade. degrade. Over it's time. called entropy. Correct. It's just everything devolves, period. Just exactly. like all that stuff loses its half-life after 200,000 years. So does basically everything else. Everything else, yeah. yeah. Another panelist, a landscape architect, an architect named Mike Brill, realized that they didn't actually need to convey a message or information into the future at all. They just needed to make people scared of being in this dangerous place in the first place. Place in the first place? Yes. He envisioned huge needles jutting up from the ground. Quote, a landscape of thorns. That's just going to make people want to know what's in there. Exactly. What's beyond? It's like when you're in a video game and you're in like an open world game and you're wandering around. Like, whoa, I bet there's, what's <laughs> that? I bet there's treasure there's in there. There's got to be treasure in the middle. Got to be treasure Giant in there. Giant thorn landscape, <laughs> definitely treasure in the middle. And then it's going to become an attraction in itself and invite people to explore it. It'll be a religious All right. experience. All right, guys. Us. Load up the family. We're taking a trip to see the ancient thorn ruins. And oh yeah, it's now also a theme park and a shopping mall and a mega hotel since it all became a tourist destination. And everybody that goes out there comes out with a third eye. It's win-win for everyone. Yeah, so strike that idea too. So I just, let's take a moment to think, I love the idea of this government-funded project bringing together what were considered the brightest minds of the day from various different disciplines and fields coming up with these absolutely harebrained ideas. Well, it has to be because it's such a complex, a very simple, (laughs) it should be a very simple solution, but it's very complex under under the veneer. Correct. And 
this isn't actually the first project of its type. In the early 1980s, another group called the Human Interface Task Force attempted to come up with solutions to the same problem in preparation for the now defunct Yucca Mountain Project. So what that was, that? was also going to be another like uh, uranium storehouse. But I think the Yucca Mountain is now just like a military facility under mountains. Why don't we just hide it where no one would find it? We just, are. It's going to be deep underground in the middle of the desert. I know, but then put the rocks back just so, so that nobody thinks anyone was there. <laughs> and then take like a little branch, and as you walk backwards, you just make just your cover your tracks. Cover just your cover tracks. Your tracks. Yes, 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 yes. Seriously, oh, yeah. why not just make it extremely ridiculous it, to find? It, it, I guess, will be. But by the time anybody would have the, the sensitive equipment to know something was there, what if they happened uh, it, by chance? Like how they're going to move? Like how? I don't know, Chris. How would they find it? Tell me. This is hypothetical stuff. How would they find it if if we there cover has to be a tunnel going down into it, right? Yeah, but you cover, you blow it up, you blow dynamite, up the blow up the tunnel, collapse Ooh. the tunnel. Ooh, Chris, we are now caveman times. Look at this perfectly spherical piece of concrete that was somehow dredged how are they up. Into it? How are they getting to that? I don't know. Chris. I'm just saying. This I is know a- you're right, and honestly, that is kind of what they're going for now. But it just seems like that's the logical thing is just hide it. And then if you have the technological capability to get to it, then you, you would will understand know. what it is. You'll be able if you can measure from outside the mountain that there's some <laughs> badass shit in there that's gonna melt your skin, uh-huh. If then you're probably at a technological capability to have a Geiger counter right. and read RADS or RAM or whatever the hell you come up with yes. for an acronym in, in your future <laughs> future society. And then you would just know. I think we're yes. overcomplicating things a I, little bit. I think that is basically what they're going to end up doing, but it, it gets so much crazier before we get to that point. <laughs> okay. Okay, so apparently the solutions proposed from this earlier 1980 task force didn't pass muster, hence why they needed the second task force in the 90s, right? While the powers that be decided that these earlier solutions weren't practical... I can tell you they were so much cooler. Okay. But before we get to it, let's talk about something else cool. Obert Car Care produces professional detailing compounds and supplies that are research tested and developed by professional detailers themselves. And they have a full selection of great products. And as an exclusive to Overcrest listeners, they're offering a massive 20% off your order when you use the code Overcrest. The discount code is good not only on their website at oberkcarcare.com, but also on detailedimage.com, carsupplieswarehouse.com, all the major places that you buy your detailing supplies. Go check them out today. Okay, so as I mentioned, the 1980 Human Interference Task Force was... In- Inter- Human interference, the hits. Can we just call them the hits? The hit, the hits, because a task force. Task force, yes. Okay. Okay. The, the so hit the hits, they were faced with solving the same problem and came up with my favorite solution. Enter the atomic priesthood. Ooh. So while this sounds like something <laughs> straight out of the uh, Fallout video game series, it obviously predates the game and may have actually served as inspiration for the game itself okay i haven't played Fallout. Fallout's great it's a it's a fantastic game basically what you do is it's an open world game yep and you go around you try to discover uh nuclear bunkers fallout shelters yeah and then you can go in there and you can discover the history of the area that you're in and you can apparently there was a whole like series of games and a couple of them were called like the brotherhood yeah they're they're great they're fun okay and basically what you do is you you Basically, you acquire guns and do all these other things, but you also learn the history of the area that you're in because you you don't know. You woke, you wake up in a fallout shelter knowing nothing. Oh, that's cool. And then you wander around this nuclear wasteland that's been destroyed by probably China. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and, and you learn about what's going on. It's it's And there's books you can read in the game and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to love this then. The task force came back to the conclusion that the most durable thing that humanity has ever created is religion. It's true. Belief systems may morph over time. Unfortunately, but the, in many cases. Yes, but the essential messages generally endure through millennia. Proposed by linguist Thomas Seabach, the idea was that, quote, an atomic priesthood would be appointed by council who would then replace themselves with their heirs as they grow old and retire or die. The priesthood would be responsible for passing on knowledge down through the generations, partly through, quote, artificially created and nurtured ritual and legend, which would be a false trail for the uninitiated, would be steered away from this hazardous site. I lied. You lied. I'm a priest. 
not a saint. I'm a priest, not a saint? Yeah. What's He's that a- from? That's from uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, Great okay. movie. Okay. So these false narratives that these priests would leave behind would be used to ward off people from visiting the sites. This will not work. Without giving away what they contain. Because you don't want to like basically encourage any future nefarious people. No, no, no. This who, will not work. Why not? Because what does every religion eventually devolve into? What? War. Ah. Because you have, you will always have people that will see whatever authority there is, uh-huh. whatever hierarchy there is, uh-huh. right? If you have a rigid hierarchy like religion, uh-huh. you will have another religion form as an antithesis to <laughs> so it. So the atomic there's, priesthood there's, is going to be like, don't go here. And then everyone that doesn't believe in this religion is going to be like, what we're, we're going to go there. We're going there. We're going there. there. <laughs> 100%. Guaranteed. That's just how humanity works. There's always a... <laughs> There's a yin and a yang. yin and a yang. Yep. Always. There's always going to be something that will come up and crop up. Whenever somebody is trying to do something good, there is somebody trying to do something evil. That is one of the oldest philosophical statements in humankind, and it is always true. So you have an, if you have an atomic priesthood, there's going to be somebody that wants to go to war with them. There's going to be an atomic crusade Ooh. to find out what is going on. Yeah, what are they hiding? Yeah, always. What have they been hiding for thousands of years? Yeah, it's going to happen. Guaranteed. Not a good idea. Because then you're going to have people <laughs> going to war over it. And then the atomic priest, as they start to lose their war, which they inevitably will, okay. it's going to be like, we got to get some of this spent fuel rod Ooh, shit. Oh, there you go. You know, and they're going to dig it up and they're going to use it. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I I think you're right. It was proposed book book idea. (laughs) (laughs) It was proposed that this priesthood would create an annual ritual and the legend of what lies in these locations would be repeated, warning people off. In the meantime, as a backup, they would update any messages at the burial site every three generations or so to ensure that it could still be understood in whatever language of the day was. Can we have an LCD television last long enough? I Do you think no. How are you going to power this bad boy? I, I don't know. Maybe spent fuel rods? <laughs> can, I mean, can we People just... People are just going to go around this TV then and be like, look, the glowing box. And the glowing box will be basically show that... The, we can 3D model it. They will show... Exactly where will, to dig to get to this magical power source. <laughs> to, to yes. Get, to get, yes. That doesn't work either, does it? <laughs> what if it shows somebody open a door and then a light source comes out and blows all their skin off and then they collapse look, in a pile of dust? God. <laughs> God is down there. We must find God. Uh, have you seen Foundation on uh, Apple Plus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where there's the the floating obelisk or whatever, and nobody can get close to it. Yes, and everybody tries yes! anyway. <laughs> That's what and they're this all is. like on their hands, and he's like, ah! they're gonna like, start cr- melting as they climb down the tunnel. They find, yeah. and then they're gonna be like, only the chosen one yeah, can so reach the end. It's gonna be like the sword and the stone, right? Yes, you're where right. It's the sword and the stone. Where nobody can pull the some sword. Guy out of Somehow he's going to be like genetically modified and like contoured with all his weird radiation stores, but he's going to make it. Jake, we are so dumb as <laughs> organisms. We're so stupid. I There's know. these archetypal stories that I are know. always out there that explaining. We know exactly what human beings are going to do. Yes, because oh, we've run the stories over and over and over yes. and over and over. Human again. nature is to basically explore and do things that are you're told not to do. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's why we need to go to Europa. <laughs> Uh, so this entire plan of the atomic priesthood was to create a new religion of sorts warning the evils of this hell on earth which then you're going to have satanic people that want to get to hell on earth however even the order of the atomic priesthood isn't the craziest idea that the panel came up with being that this was the 1980s i have to imagine there was cocaine present it's the only way i can explain this next solution See, we were a little different. We like to get as fucked up as possible during our business powwows in order to stimulate our free-flowing ideas. Just a little primer to get us started. <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> so the craziest and most amazing solution was proposed by author Francois Badit and cymatician Paolo Fabri. So first of all, I had to look up what a simotician even is. A simotician is an expert in the field of semiotics. Semiotics is the study of sign processes as defined as anything that communicates a meaning to the signs interpreter. So apparently that you can- That sounds like underwater basket weaving to <laughs> you me. You <laughs> can be an expert at signs. 
So, or just how signs are interpreted. Yes. Okay. Well, like that seems seems like a real job. Yeah. That that I guess kind it of. It seems does. like a subsect of like of, communication y- yes, degree or something yeah, like very, that. Very very yeah. specific. He's probably the only simultician out there. But yeah. this guy had an idea. Regardless, I wonder if it's an online degree from like Arizona State <laughs> University or something like That's that. That's the idea. You have to become a simultician and then yeah, no. <laughs> so these two guys decided that the most sensible course of action was to breed radiation cats. What? Radiation cats. What the fuck is a radiation cat? <laughs> well, it's not a real thing. <laughs> let me let me break this down for you. By somehow breeding the natural attribute of bioluminescence found in some species of animals in nature with the common house cat, they then wanted to figure out a natural mechanism to make this imaginary cat illuminate only when it would come into contact with certain levels of radiation. So then these living Geiger counter cats would be bred and let loose into the wild. No. <laughs> no, this is like a terrible I said, idea. Cocaine, massive amounts of cocaine. <laughs> so I think we're doing some different drugs than cocaine. Yeah, I think this, this is, is like LSD. LSD. Yeah. So while this itself seems wholly impossible, not to mention any ethical ramifications that PETA would probably find with it, who cares? They said we have thousands of years to figure that part out. By the way, this no. is the easy part of their plan. That was the easy part. Okay, well, it's ridiculous. Yes, it is. Similar. What would you do if you were just a guy that, that like, (laughs) had a cat in, like, the year 3065, and all of a sudden it started glowing? Yeah. That's where the next part of the plan comes in, You're going to have a new atomic priesthood happen. (laughs) Yes, yes, you are. Yes, 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 Because the guy with the glowing cat. (laughs) First of all, they're going to throw the cat in the water to see if it sinks immediately. It's a witch cat. (laughs) So that was the easy part of the plan. Similar to the priesthood concept, the plan would be then to instill cultural legends and myths around these magical cats that convey their danger. Otherwise, a glowing cat in the future would probably be heralded as a god, you know, not an omen of danger. Oh, everyone worship the glow cat. Right. It yeah. provides light in the dark. Right. The glow cat. Who gets to have the glow, the glow cat in their teepee tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so they proposed that these myths, folklore, and prophecies of the past would then be passed on through the generations via means of poetry, paintings, and music. Warning their danger. Don't change color, pretty cat. Stay that pretty gray. Don't change color, pretty keep your color, pretty keep sickness away. Don't change color, pretty keep your color, pretty please, cause if you do, for glow your luminous eyes, you're all gonna have to move. (laughs) No! Don't change color, pretty keep your color, pretty stay that pretty gold. Don't change color, pretty keep your color, we'll keep you from the cold. So don't change color, pretty keep your color. Okay. No, no, keep going, there's better verses. The minute you change your looks, we're bringing you with us out of town. Drugs, for sure. Don't change color, pretty keep your color, pretty no, I don't know why. Don't change color, pretty keep your color, pretty God said it's not right. So don't change color or flash your eyes, cause Lord knows if you do. I hope you think it's cozy in your travel case, cause it's time to move. No, 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 no. No. First of all, there's... <laughs> Stay that midnight black. The radiation changing wise to kill Okay, so first of all, you can't say, oh, Lordy. In a song like this, because who's, who's Lordy? Who's Lordy? Obviously the cat. Yeah, yeah, it's probably true. You can't do this. This doesn't work. It's too... So, I can, in my mind, I can picture the people doing this, playing this. They've got a flower crown on, guitar, a white dress with print that's homemade, printed uh-huh. on it. And the dude is wearing like a deerskin vest that's like tied together in the front with, with Birkenstocks, probably. Yeah. yeah. This does well, not work. This the person work. you're describing. I, however, <laughs> I, I do think that they're somewhat on the right track. Because if you think back to where I said about the sword and the stone, right? Yeah. The sword and the stone is 
it's an interesting allegory for a many, bunch of different things in life. Like there's you're made for something. Everybody's made for something, whether we know for what it is for or not, or whatever you're made for, whatever your talents are. We all have our thing that we're good at, and there's supposed to be some someone that could do a thing, which is go pull the sword out of the stone. Okay. You know, the hero story is something that you know human beings have lived on for many many years. So that stuff does work. It does. You know, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this stuff all the time right. when he talks about how different stories, um, when you extrapolate them, define life. Like Pinocchio is one that he talks about all the time. Right. It's a stupid story about a kid that goes in a in a mouth of a whale and all this stuff. But it, that's but, not Pinocchio. No, it it, it is. Uh, well, that's jo- that's Jonah. But I, <laughs> wait, Pinocchio gets swallowed by a whale, doesn't, doesn't he? he? No, that's two different stories. What am you I talking are, about? Yeah, but both. <laughs> <laughs> Pinocchio and uh, Jonah both are stories that are right. separate, obviously. And apparently we're combining them <laughs> into the future. The There's going to be glowing long. cats involved as well. Glowing cats, boys with noses, whales. <laughs> Let's go! No, I'm there just might saying, actually be a whale in Pinocchio, now that you mention it. I thought there was, but boy, it's been a long time since I read any of those books. It's been, it's been quite a while. Anyway, all I'm saying is that <laughs> these stories have been passed down so far in various forms, there's always like, there's as a there's writer, there's a central like like message, right? right? Well, yes, but as a writer, there's only a few different stories. They like I don't remember how many there are six, seven, eight different ways that you can write a story. Oh, sure, okay. Right? So you have different ways of telling the same story over and over and over again, but they all have the same recurring themes, right? And that is humanity has been doing that since we were drawing pictures on the wall right of right. of a of a guy with a bow and arrow defeating the lion right that's a that's a hero story in one hieroglyph right. you can look at that and be like wow that guy killed that lion whoa that guy's a warrior so you can see what that story what if the lion was glowing uh then you would go wow that that guy that warrior killed a god right yeah, you, you see, know that's it, bad then. it just does not work it does <laughs> it does not work I like the idea of uh-huh. using pop culture uh-huh. and, and passing messages on, like I said earlier in the podcast, yes. of, of creating stories that transcend generations. <laughs> the only problem is, is I, I'm wondering if you've ever played a game called Telephone. Yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> Explain the game of Telephone. Yeah, you uh, basically all line up and each whisper into each other's ear a single message that started on one end, and by the end of it, you get... Purple monkey dishwasher. Right. Something completely different. And in your teenage years, there's always like somebody says cock in the middle. Yep. So there's always like, yep. and of course people manipulate the story on purpose. Right. Because they want to be funny. They want to tell yes. the story their own way. Exactly. So as human civilization expands and contracts and expands and contracts, you're going to have lots of people telling different stories. And pretty soon your story about the nuclear cat glowing for some fucking reason <laughs> It's going to be turned into a completely different story. It may have some sort of relationship to the original story, but the meaning and the message is going to get lost in yes. a way. I don't know if that's going to work. I don't I don't know. Well, that song that you loved that you described as the hippie uh, crown of flowers wearing guy, yeah. his name is Chad Manthe, and he goes by the artist name Emperor X. <laughs> okay. He was actually commissioned by the website 99invisible, who has even more information on this bizarre topic. Just wanted to give them a shout out because that's where that's song comes from okay so well, is that guy a hippie i imagine so yeah i think i didn't is. look too much into the rest of his works but probably okay so legitimately what were they thinking with this can you can you break down because we've kind of you know glossed over how ridiculous it is but what were exactly what were they thinking so they were thinking the same concept as this atomic priesthood of yes. like in some sort of cultural thing passing it down to the generation so that the story lasts. But what's wrong with the atomic priesthood? Like you said, religion has problems and also there's nothing it's founded on. With a actual animal, they figured if the animal survives down the generation or even the story of the animal, then it should endure through this game of telephone because it always comes back to the cat, right? right? And you know, if the main message is just, if the cat glows, that's bad. Even through the game of telephone, Mm-hmm. Even if all the culture around it is lost, if the cat is there and he starts glowing, sooner or later, humans are going to say, oh, when the cat glows, we all die. Right, but how often is the cat going to glow to be able to prove the concept? Yeah, not often. Never. No, no never. never. There's never going to be a situation which the cat would glow. Except when you're on top of this buried this treasure. Mountain on or- which you're going to say, the devil is there. We must dig down to the devil to destroy the Someone devil. Someone will. Yes. Someone will want 100%. to. 100%. It's, how about we just accept the fact that we need to launch it into the sun? Can we just get it away from us, please? <sighs> can we just do that? Or yes. Why don't we, can we, why not just put it in the bottom of the ocean? Like, yes, just, well, no, that's, ever, a, that's a terrible idea. 
Why? Can't you put it in containers that would just be sealed and just go to the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> just, I don't just wait. Just, have you ever seen the movie The Abyss? Yeah, it's a good good movie. Or uh, uh, what's the one by Michael Crichton? The Sphere. Yeah, also very good. Movie. Very good movie. Very the, the books. The Sphere movie Book is better. Sphere movie. Yeah, awful. Sphere book, amazing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Why can't we just? And you know, in a way, it's kind of similar to what we're talking about, where they they discover this sphere. Yeah. At the bottom of the ocean, and they're trying to communicate with it. Right. And the sphere is trying to communicate with them, and they can't. They cannot figure out how to communicate with each other. You're right. It's very very interesting. It's a great book if nobody's read that. But why can't we just find the deepest part of the ocean and just chuck these things in there? Would we? Would we all of a sudden? You would have glowing fish. <laughs> yeah, all, of, maybe all that's, of the fish glow. Maybe that's how you get Godzilla. <laughs> yes, that is how you get Godzilla, undoubtedly. So while glowing cats roaming a toxic landscape thousands of years from now is a novel idea, not surprisingly, it hasn't gone anywhere. For the time being, the WIP facility has settled on a simple granite marker containing written warnings in 10 different languages. The problem of an enduring message still hasn't been solved. But this whole crazy story led me to ponder the question of why we need to store this nuclear waste anyways. This is what you're talking about. So first of all, there's already companies that are trying to re-enrich and recycle the waste uranium so they can be used again and further dissipate some of its radioactive energy. Obviously, you're heating this stuff to the point, you're in a nuclear reactor, you're heating this stuff to the point where it has become steam. Right. How much energy do human beings waste heating water in their homes. <laughs> so now you want to put nuclear material in everyone's home. Why not? It's the nuclear oven. I, there's <laughs> got to be a way to have this stuff. You think about a tankless water heater with uranium pellets in it. Uh-huh. In, in a safe format. It, that it, okay, how much energy would that save? You said safe, and you're going to give this to the common man. Yeah, I suppose there's probably a lot of people that are in the world that would be like, <laughs> I can make a dirty bomb out of this. Yes. You just can't or do just anything like that, can you? Decided to unscrew the panel that says, do not enter. Yeah, that's not going to work, <laughs> But Chris. if you just put a skull and crossbones on it, yeah, it'll give everybody obviously. a cat that glows, they'll yeah, never open the door. Exactly. So there are companies. What are some of the other uses for this stuff? There is none. No, there's nothing. No, there's it can't be used nothing. for anything. It doesn't create enough heat to be useful. Exactly. That's nothing. the problem. So there are companies that are trying to use this spent fuel and re kind of like recycle it and rearrange it, enrich in it so that they can use it again as radioactive energy. But even then, you're still left with a material that is deadly and useless, even after it's been kind of recycled once. Right. So rather than trying to hide or stow this stuff away somewhere, why don't we get rid of it forever? Yes. As you said, the idea of jettisoning it off to space has been brought up time and time again. Why not just launch all of this waste right into the sun? Question. Yes. Have you ever heard of the Challenger? <laughs> yes. Okay, what if what if one of these things full of... I'm, I'm going to get there. Okay. Yes, yes. Blows up That's problem number be, four. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't get to that until number four. Okay. All right, problem one. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are a few problems with this, the first of which is simply getting it off the ground. Launching stuff into space takes a huge amount of fuel and money. Granted, the cost per kilogram has dropped dramatically, thanks in no small part to SpaceX, actually. Between 1970 and 2000, the cost remained fairly steady at $18,500 per kilogram okay. to launch something. So, how much, SpaceX, how much, what if I am cremated? You could launch me into space for only eighteen grand. That's cheaper than a lot of funerals. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, just send me into space. Is this Drop our next business idea? Yes. <gasps> Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Strike it from the podcast. But it, it's even cheaper than that now, Chris, because for a SpaceX Falcon 9, the cost is just $2,720 per kilogram. It dropped from 18000 to 2000 Amazing what private enterprise will do. I am totally going to launch myself into space when I die. Why not? <laughs> Especially since you weigh half as much as the normal person. Oh, it's going to be even better. <laughs> but keep in mind that what we are trying to send into space is radioactive and needs to be lead shielding. Now our formula just oh. came ass. Why? Just, it Why became it impossible. Why? Why do we have to lead shield it? Right. Okay. Who no, cares? No need for radiation shielding. We'll load it into a rocket directly. Yep. And it's a designated facility where nothing else is going to happen. Yep. Everybody's wearing a and suit anyway. Well, they're they're using robots, maybe. So right. you don't even have to handle it. Right. Okay. Even if you could get this waste into space, there's another huge problem: gravity. Getting into orbit is one thing. 
But in order to break free of Earth's gravitational pull, you need even more fuel, which adds more weight and leaves less space for the actual cargo. And then the sun's gravity poses another counterintuitive problem. Listen to this. The closer you get to the sun, the greater the gravitational pull. Right. Great. You may say the sun will just suck the material right into itself. Wrong. The surface of the sun, while massive, is tiny compared to its own gravitational field. As such, an object that is pulled toward it, the odds of it actually hitting the sun are infinitesimally small. Instead, it'll pick up tons of speed and slingshot right past the sun in a massive orbit. I don't know. I can use ways, and it gets me exactly where I want to go. <laughs> in Why order, can't we just program the rocket to just... Well, in order to correct the course to actually land in the sun, you would need massive amounts of fuel to do so. You're trying to overcome this gravity that's trying to just push you wherever you started going in the first place. So we don't have computers Fine. that are good enough to calculate... Right? We it's, don't have computers good enough to you, calculate Maybe the, we do. But it is a huge... Like, it's infinitesimally small what actually hits the sun rather than just gets slingshotted right by it. We took pictures of a black hole 350 million light years away. Yeah, that's a picture. I know, but surely we can have the mathematical equation to say point it here and it's going to get pulled on by the moon. It's going to get pulled on by Venus and Mars right. and everything on its way to the sun. Or just program it to go. Or you may say as long as it's out of Earth's orbit, who cares, right? It's out there. Space yeah. junk. Fair enough. But there's another problem. As you mentioned, rockets sometimes explode. Yes. Even today, with SpaceX's most advanced rockets, a 95% success rate is fairly typical for the space business. That means one out of 20 times our hypothetical nuclear waste would blow up, raining radiation all over the atmosphere. Not good. One in 20. Not good. Yeah. What kind of... Would it dissipate by the time it... I guess it depends on where it blows up. Not good. It's not good There's either no way, good Chris. There's, There's no, no good answer. There's no good answer so to this. So for the foreseeable future, our best option is to simply bury it. And as we've heard, even if it stays buried for 20,000 years, things can still go wrong. I'm going to leave us with one last hilarious fact about the nuclear waste industry. And oddly enough, it has to do with cats once again. You see, for certain types of nuclear waste... The official government protocol is to pack it with kitty litter in barrels. What? <laughs> okay. However, here's where things get really dumb. If the wrong brand of kitty litter is used, it can cause massive problems. We know this because it's happened. In my basement. <laughs> when you buy the wrong kitty litter. Yeah. True. No, you see, inorganic kitty litter is often made with a particularly absorbent form of clay called bentonite. Bentonite-based kitty litter is routinely used by the nuclear waste industry. And as Christopher Cluel in his garage with the oil that spilled on the floor. Yes, but it's a material used to stabilize highly acidic and other liquid radioactive wastes for disposal. Organic kitty litter, on the other hand, is not made from bentonite. It is made from wheat. While bentonite stabilizes and moderates chemical heat-producing reactions, organic kitty litter, in this context, acts as a fuel. It produces the makings of a bomb. And it turns out that Los Alamos had packed over 5,000 barrels of radioactive waste with organic kitty litter, brand named Sweet Scoop, <laughs> I like how we know the brand Amazon. name. Someone's on Amazon. Yeah, well, Sweet Scoop's oh, got a coupon. It's on sale. It's got a coupon. Let's use this. <laughs> they mislabeled it as inorganic kitty litter before shipping it off for burial. And where was this explosive kitty litter-laden waste shipped? None other than the aforementioned New Mexico Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. This incident is the exact cause that led to the explosion that shut down the whip in 2014 that I mentioned. It caused the leak, yeah. It was kitty litter, the wrong brand of kitty litter. The world's foremost permanent nuclear disposal site was we are foiled so, so stupid. by the wrong brand of kitty litter. We are so dumb. Who didn't check that? Yeah. It's like 5,000 pounds worth. <laughs> Jesus. No, 5,000 barrels. 5,000 barrels. <laughs> Wrong kitty litter. 50, probably 50-gallon 50 drums yes. of kitty litter. Yes, That's got to be 350, 400 pounds of kitty litter times however many barrels. That is a lot of... <laughs> We're dumb, man. Yes. We're dumb. So th I, th this just this goes to show. There is no solution. I don't trust 
everybody knows me. I don't trust government very I much. Know. This is a pretty damn good example but of, this, of a, like, just yeah, a total no, folly. It's, it's The yes. folly of humanity it right there. It is a folly. And mistakes are always going to happen with humanity. So this is why there are problems, unfortunately, with nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. There's no solution. That was my whole story. There is no good answer. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... it's. So, is there like any, you said... Is there any way to... They, so, they said, uh, if I remember correctly, because I don't have my notes anymore, but the this WIP facility, they said in probably, like, 2030, it's going to be full, and they're going to seal it up and, like, basically cover it up. And then put so the, the question cats is, outside Yeah, either put the glowing cats out... <laughs> <laughs> or like you said, do you just make it look like nothing? I think you make it Nothing's look like nothing. there. I think that's what you do. It may I think be. That's what you do. It, well, what else are you going to do? The only question I have, is there any way to catalyze whatever energy is left to get it to expel it faster? Right. Is there a way to... I, th- all I know is there are much smarter minds than ours, I'm sure, that have looked at that problem. Hmm. I agree. You would think there'd be a way to harness this energy... Yeah, but here I am thinking like, hmm, how can huh, we solve this issue? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Overclass Podcast. Saving, saving the world. Nuclear energy. <laughs> One episode at a time. Oh. Yeah, yeah, somewhere the, Stephen, the ghost of Stephen Hawking is listening to this podcast being like, wow, those guys are brilliant. They yes. finally figured, they figured it out. It out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not kitty litter. I can tell you that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, well, it could be, but just make sure you get it's the right It's the right kind. All right, Jake. That was incredible. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we should we should do more of these. That was uh, that, well, was, it's, that was. It takes a fair amount of work. I know, but it's worth it. I think it's a lot of fun. That was that was great. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, what have we got going on next week? We don't know. We don't know. That's too far in the future for us. I don't know. Right. What, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure it will be great. Jake, thanks again. Yeah. Awesome. We'll see you guys next time.